2.8 left regulation. Clippers 106-103 over the Bulls. Caruso holding and looking. Still holding, still looking. Nearly a five-second count to get to Levine. Got stripped. Recovered by the Clippers. Over the midcourt line, Leonard gives it up to George and a foul. Zach and DeMar like, ended up in the same spot almost, and it was kind of confusing who Caruso was even throwing it to. How'd they kind of end up in the same spot? We didn't execute the play. Did someone break it off? No. Didn't execute the play. No one broke it off. We didn't. We got. We got to execute the play better. We went with the play, and still got to try to get open somehow, some way. That's why I try to. I just try to break my cutoff, and because I think Batum switched out off the inbounders, they read a lot, they switch a lot. So somewhere in there is the answer. I still don't think we have it as to what happened, and that was just the latest episode of the bizarre Bulls, not getting out of each other's way. Cody Westerland is always there before games, after games to ask such questions, and that's why we like talking to him. He joins us now on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. He's the Scores Bulls reporter and 670thescore.com editor, and he's on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Chicago670thescore. Hey, Cody. How are you guys doing? I thought uh, that was a really interesting post game the other night. I thought it was very kind of just symbolic of the Bulls season, you know, in the sense that Billy Donovan does not throw star players under the bus. Even when it's confusing why something went wrong, um, you get different answers in the locker room. So, so no one's absolutely throwing anyone under the bus, but no one is taking full accountability and explaining anything, which makes it really confusing, which I think is probably one of the best uh, adjectives to use the, uh, to describe the Bulls this year, which is confusing. Yep. Confusing is it. When you saw the collapse happen and you were there for it, Cody, what are the things that were going through your mind as this team continues to fall into these traps? Well, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all. And I, I've i made a few notes of this before, but with scoring efficiency up in the NBA, like 19-point leads are not as big of a deal in the NBA as they used to be. 19-point leads when you are a below 500 team that can really go into some rough patches aren't what they used to be. It almost feels like those are like 11 or 12 point deficits now. And I'm sure someone smarter than me could tell me what the exact um, math ratio is on that. But this is a team that no matter how you shake it, I mean, look, they've blown 16 point leads, 21 point leads, 19 point leads. That's just this month or this past month of January. I guess we're into February now. Um, So this is a habit. It's a team that it gets back to a lack of focus. We've used the word complacency a lot, but it does not grind for 48 minutes. And this is a team that's got to grind harder for 48 minutes with an attention to detail. And they just don't have it. Why does Billy Donovan seem so reluctant to coach DeMar DeRozan harder? I think it starts at the top, right? Like this is an organization that wanted to be player friendly when the new management group came in. And I think he's taking the lead on that. You see it all the time. He coaches Patrick Williams hard. He coaches Io DeSumo hard. We were joking in the media room the other night that if one of the youngsters, I think Kobe White was one of the guys on the floor, anyone that was young that was on the floor, if they'd made the mistake, Billy probably just would have said it. He would have given them like name, date of birth, social security number. We were joking like everything. The young guys... (laughs) absolutely all of it would have been like he did it here's his info here's what went wrong Mm -hmm. does not do that for veterans i think that's a player friendly organization mandate it's something that 
Um, we hailed and praised when the Bulls got DeMar to come here, Vooch to come here, and obviously they, they acquired those guys in trades or sign-in trades, but Lonzo came here, chose them basically in free agency, even though it ended up as a sign-in trade. We hailed that when it was working, and now we criticize it when it doesn't, but I just think that's kind of the operation for this team. We saw earlier this year in November, the one time Billy Donovan really went hard and benched Zach Levine, it pretty much turned into a mess. Zach was not happy. It frayed their relationship a little bit. Look, those guys are still fine right now, but it just didn't go over well. Like, can you imagine um, Billy doing that to, to, to DeMar? Like, he's probably... He's got a lot more just NBA credibility in his career than Zach does at this point, so it would probably just be a bigger mess. So, but but it doesn't have to be zero sum though, Cody. Like it doesn't have to be Billy going scorched earth. But yeah. but what? Why can't it be him talking and using the analytics department of the Bulls and saying, "Hey, we're a better team when you shoot two more threes per game." Like that that that's not. Hey, I'm gonna bench you if you don't do it. It's. It's doing the work of coaching the player and 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 taking a skill and saying we can improve upon this if blank. Certainly, and I I'd want to know what the analytics bear out on that because like the Demar Derozan three point thing, I think it was great when it worked in Orlando the other night and he's made some big three pointers, but he's like a 28, 29% three point shooter for his career. So when you look at that versus like his two point field goal percentage, like the analytics on that is probably still going to bear out that he is better from mid range, uh, offensive efficiency wise. But when he's in the mid range, that just cramps their spacing everywhere on the floor. So absolutely the argument you're making is more space leads to higher offensive efficiency for everyone. So uh, it's just a team that is very, very set in like one way to play. And Lonzo was a connector of that and it worked when he was healthy. And when he's not, it's a team that just isn't comfortable enough and versatile enough to play in different ways. And that's a fair criticism of Billy Donovan. I think the biggest criticism of Billy Donovan that anyone should have is that I think we all agree the Bulls have a lot of offensive talent and we've seen it work for stretches, but it hasn't been a top half offense in the NBA for most of his time in the NBA, right? Like, I don't know what, I haven't checked lately, but it was like 18th in the NBA in offensive efficiency last week. And it should work better even though Lonzo is gone. So that's that's something. And I mean, you asked him this the other night, Lawrence. He just wasn't that interested in DeMar taking many more threes. Like, they want to be stubborn in some ways and have a fundamental pivot point of the offense being DeMar in mid-range, it seems like. As we head toward the deadline, which is what's a week from today. You got it. I am concerned about what they know regarding the plans for Nikola Vucevic. He holds a lot of sway here. He's an unrestricted free agent. And if he's going to leave, they need to know that. And I'm just what do you know about the dialogue between the two parties? I don't know much about that. I mean, I've asked about it, haven't gotten um, much concrete info on it. So uh, that's that's pretty normal for, for this Bulls front office, I feel like, to, to play it rather close to the vest there. But I, certainly they would have had, common sense tells you, they would have had to have dialogue with him about that. But then it does turn into game theory, right? Like Vooch can say, oh, yeah, I'm very interested in, in signing an extension with you. Here's my number. Here's what it'll be. And then he can still leave and walk if he wants to. Sure. Like That's what unrestricted free agency is. So uh, the Bulls have to have a read um, 
a really good read, I think, from his agent and from other connected people in the NBA that probably just are around Vooch and, and can tell you the truth, how he really feels. And look, Vooch is, he's a pretty laid back guy for the most part when he's not yelling at some officials for, for some calls and stuff like that. He He's an easy guy to get along with, so I wouldn't expect him to mislead the Bulls in any way, but... He, he's an interesting trade piece or trade candidate to me in the sense that it makes sense to trade him. And like Parkins talks about this a lot on the afternoon show, like he just thinks the Bulls have to trade Vooch. And I completely 100% understand the theory, agree with it. You got to turn guys who could walk into assets. But to me, it's like, what are you going to get for him? I just, I don't know that the Bulls can get a first round pick for Vooch. If they can, they should probably trade him. If they can get a young player that they think they have a little bit more team control, contract control for two, three years, restricted free agency at the end of something who can be a rotation player for them for four or five years, they should do that. I just don't know who it is in the NBA that has that player or is willing to give up that draft asset for Vooch right now, because again, centers, if you don't have Embiid, if you don't have Jokic, you don't care about the position that much. You just want that to be a cheap salary slot with some rim protection. And Vooch is not a cheap salary slot, and he doesn't provide much rim protection in a playoff setting. So that's why it's difficult to me um, with Vooch uh, as we look forward here in the next week. Cody, how would you describe DeMar DeRozan's trade value to contending teams? Ooh, that's a good question. There's no one that I feel like has a major injury or a wing slot right now where they really need to plug DeMar in. I mean, if you think back to DeMar's past free agency, there was chatter with him around the Lakers, around the Clippers. We just saw the Clippers at the United Center the other night. I mean, they have like 14 guys who are between six foot seven and six foot ten that play on the wing and do it pretty well. What they feel like they need is a point guard. So like it doesn't seem like he makes sense for the Clippers. The Lakers are always interesting. They've been tied to DeMar and, and Zach Levine in recent years in the rumor mill all the time. But I just I don't know that I see DeMar as a fit um, there for what the Lakers are doing right now. Like I don't think he'd elevate them to the next level. They need more shooting, not another guy to clog up the floor in the mid-range uh, for them as well. So uh, I think his trade value is decent in the sense that he's under contract control for this year. Next year could be interested if he likes the next place he goes and signing a contract extension to the next one. So I think you could get a couple solid pieces in a trade. But again, there's just no team screaming that, hey, we need DeMar. That's exactly what he he provides. Like, again, he's more of a guy that raises your floor than raises your ceiling in many ways, unless you're properly exactly built um, in some sense that that you need that primary score in the mid range. So I think his trade value is certainly more than Vooch's, but I, I don't think it's sky high through the roof or anything. Joe Cowley told us something really interesting a couple days ago about the nonlinear development of Patrick Williams. Yeah. You, usually when you're a raw, talented athlete with one year of some college experience and you're coming off the bench in college and thrust into the NBA – Usually what starts to get here sooner on this level is the brute force stuff of, of running by people and jumping over people and overpowering people and outquicking people. It's been the opposite for Patrick Williams. What has started to blossom is the touch. Seeing him shoot 40% from three-point range, 90% from the line, that those are usually the things that happen after, and his, his development, it happened earlier. So is that good? You know, what I've been really encouraged by 
is it you say is it good? I think the fact that he has high shooting percentages is really important too. Like he's 89% this year on limited free throw shooting. And to me, like that shows the skill is there, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, Callie nailed it in that uh, assessment. You look at just the Pacers last week, the Bulls played like Ben Matherin goes to the hoop hard all the time, right? Like that's why he fills it up. You can feel him as a player out there on the floor for the Pacers. That's why he's going to be among the rookie of the year leaders and and all that good stuff. And you don't see that force from Patrick Williams. But yeah, I think it's okay. It's it's okay that um, Patrick Williams is kind of the inverse because I do think, to me, if you opened up your roster correctly or or configured your roster correctly, it would give him more opportunity to do that. We saw the great take he had and dunk against the Clippers the other night. And I think that's important in the sense that the Bulls need to emphasize to Patrick Williams that he's a play finisher, right? Like he does not need to be someone who's passing the ball around the wing, whatever, setting screens for others and getting them to the hoop. Like just focus on finishing because he's pretty good at it when he goes hard to the rim because he has that athleticism and he's pretty good at it when he has a good look at a three point shot. So I do think that's a big reason to still be encouraging and is completely fine um, for the Bulls in that sense. Just the shooting numbers. You got to have promise behind that. With the success that he's having with the three point shot, like his shot is still long. Do the Bulls care? Is there an idea of, man, he, he needs to quicken that release or does it matter? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you got to quicken that release if you're ever going to be a primary off-the-ball scorer threat like that. He, he certainly has the slow release, and it works really well when he's in the corner. Zach Levine set him up, DeMar DeRozan set him up. And I, I that's, that's hard, though, right? Because he, he's 21 years old, so you can improve the release, but he has had a long career of kind of doing it at that rate. And when you're so much better physically at lower levels than others, it works. It's not going to work that as well in the NBA, certainly, against more premier defenders and and guys who are bigger and stronger and faster. But it's something that if he's going to be just more of a one-on-one guy at some point for the Bulls, they need him to improve on that. But at the same time, again, he's he's a really confusing player in, in some ways because we see the flashes, but not always the consistency. But there are things I think I'd be encouraged by. Kobe White, does he have trade value? A little bit, right? Like, I mean... I don't want to trade him. Like, that that's a guy who is... If you're really looking for a development candidate... It, you, th- you'd just be flipping... You'd just be flipping the an eighth man on the roster for an eighth man, I think. Like, you, you're not getting anything more um, in that sense. And I... I've been impressed by Kobe this year. I I think you've always had to love his attitude because he's been yanked in and out of the starting lineup at times. His role's been different. They told him his first year he needed to be a point guard. He was bad at it, um, but he gave it his best go, and then everyone realized he didn't need to be that, and he recovered very well just what his role acceptance should be. So, yeah, if you want to shoot three-pointers at a high clip in the NBA— and you got one of them in your starting lineup and Zach Levine and only one other on the roster in Kobe White, it could make very good sense to just keep him at this point. So I, I don't know that what you get back for Kobe White's going to um, change the trajectory of your franchise at all. So it could make good sense to keep him. I think the only I think the one thing I would note there is if you can get someone back who's more of a wing and a two-way player, and you have um, maybe restricted free agency rights, bird rights on that guy too coming up next. I think that could make sense for the Bulls. 
But again, I, I would not trade him unless I'm getting a two-way player back uh, of some sort. Cody, if you had the opportunity to talk with Mark Eversley or Arturis Karnaschovas, what would you ask them? What would be top of your notebook? One of the questions I would ask them is, what did you learn from the Vooch trade? Um, because that, that, that's that been a disaster, and it's it's just such an organizational drain of, of young talent when you gave up Wendell Carter, two first-round picks. That's three young players you gave up for someone who you haven't won a playoff series yet uh, with. And I would really want to know, like, you got completely fleeced in that trade. And I think what they, how they would respond would shed a lot on their process to me. If they gave any, any answer of substance, I mean, they could talk around it. But to me, that's really important because whatever the process was in that trade, because I'm sure the Bulls went in there saying one first round pick and Wendell, right? Like that would have made more sense. And the Magic ended up with the second first round pick in the deal. The process of what the Bulls have done as a front office sometimes confuses me like, why did Tony Bradley have a player option on his deal, for example? The process of, of extending Billy Donovan when they did with two years left on his contract instead of one didn't make sense with me. The, 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 the negotiation in the Vooch trade will forever be something we won't know much about. But anything that they could learn from that trade, I'd just like to see what they would say about it and, and how they would apply that. Because it just speaks to some things that, to me, say rookie front office and, and getting taken advantage of in some ways. Some of these processes that play out okay in some instances, like extending Billy Donovan early probably isn't going to matter, but it, it just didn't make sense all the time to, to me why they do things when they do. Well, what's interesting to me about what you said, especially that last point about Billy, is if you extended him, you would think that he would feel on much firmer ground to to be a little bit more coachy. Like, isn't be that more it, forceful? Right. Like, isn't that the point? Like, and I get that at the time that it got leaked out, it was during the whole stuff with him and Zach. But I would think overall, it would make Billy feel more emboldened to to put into practice some of the things that he's been wanting to see from his team. It should. And that brings up another question in, in some ways, like, is this organization too player friendly um, to star players? Right. Like, do you need to be more forceful in in how you handle them? Because, look. They do not have a LeBron. If you got LeBron, if you got Giannis, you got Jason Tatum, like these guys, Joel Embiid, you let them do whatever they want, right? But if you don't have a top five guy, if you don't have a top eight or 10 guy on your team in the NBA, uh, you got to make up for it in different ways. You you have to be better at adjustments. Um, you need to be better two-way players, and you need to push for more of that to happen, and they just haven't done it. So, uh, I mean, I think that's another great, question to, to bring up from these guys too and I mean I, I think we would all ask them like what is the vision for competing yeah. where are like we going vision... and what are we doing yeah yeah it's just like the, the to me the things where they babble about what's to come doesn't always give you as much information on how they reflect about what went wrong to this point mm. but they always do want to look forward instead of back so that's why it's hard to get questions and answers out of executives sometimes Cody Westerland will be covering the Bulls and the Charlotte Hornets tonight. I think as much as you can say, well, this is a chance for the Bulls to redeem themselves <laughs> and, and to get right against this bad team, this bad team missed 18 threes in a row at one point, and Lonzo Ball had one of the worst games I've seen. Not Lonzo. Excuse me. Lonzo, Lonzo doesn't play. Lamelo Ball 
had one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. So there's no more presumptions with this team, even in a matchup that that should favor them. Absolutely. So uh, as always, I'll be there. And what do we got? 645 pregame on the score tonight. There you go. Cody Westerlund. Thank you. Cody Westerlund's a good man. He does a great job on that Bulls beat. But, like, Dan, for real, like, wasn't that the whole point of the secret extension? To empower him to to be much more demanding. Yeah. And and again, I don't I'm not going anywhere. I don't need That's- him to scream and shout. I don't need him. But even you look at remember last year when Jimmy Butler was out here getting out of control? Eric Spolstra didn't stand there and take that. He didn't he, take it. He said, What are you gonna fight me? Yeah. And then knowing Udonis Haslam was yeah, going to come over then, and be like, then UD was like, you better sit your dumb ass down. <laughs> yeah. But, but Steve Kerr coaches hard when he has to, he's demanding even of Steph and clay and Draymond when he has to be, I, I don't <sighs> doc rivers like that. Yeah. I look even, even Ty Lou, like Ty was talking about some of the things in his pregame on Monday of t- things that he doesn't like and he wants to see done better. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not asking for there to be someone out there that is just a, a stark, raving, mad, crazy person. But why not use all the assets that you have to make the team better? We talk about this in baseball all the and time. Pro, pro players want to be coached. I would hope DeMar DeRozan wants to be coached. Maybe doesn't. Maybe they know more than I do about that relationship. Uh, it, it's very possible that they could. I just... Even if your philosophy is for it to be a pro, a player friendly environment, which I think is smart, player friendly doesn't mean abdication of coaching. You can do both, and I I don't know why it has to be you're you're either on this end of the spectrum or you're on this end of the spectrum. Why can't it be there are going to be elements? And like I was saying with baseball, part of the thing that we got frustrated with, like White Sox fans is that you knew that the front office was saying to the dugout, hey, you should take a look at this information. This feels like the coach doing the same thing that we we had the manager doing with the White Sox, where the coach is like, I know what the information says. I'm just not going to tell him because he's more comfortable and we're going to chase the efficiency of it. Even though it, it, get, it doesn't get you the points that you need. And it closes the door to you being more efficient overall. Not DeMar being more efficient. Your offense being more efficient. Yeah, to you getting enough points. Getting the more points yeah, he, thing he is can, important. He can operate efficiently, but you still don't have enough points. You, there, you might be more successful with a little more inefficiency. Right. And so is Cody saying 28-29%? I get it. Hasn't been a great three-point shooter. But in the in the the very simple number crunching that we found, 31% is all you would need DeMar to be. And with a guy who does work on his game, you would think that that would be something that he could do. But that the point is 31% isn't what you need DeMar to do. 31% if you look at the shot distribution and change some of those twos to threes, it's player X. It doesn't have to be DeMar. That's why my move 
if I'm the Bulls now, trade DeMar DeRozan. His value is high. His game is retrograde and anachronistic. His game is holding you back. His game may be actively retarding the development of one of your most important players. Get what you can while he's still young enough, has some value, has another year on his contract to keep that value up. Whatever you want to do with Vooch and all that, the most important thing they could do to tell me they see what's really going on here, trade DeMar DeRozan. When the Raptors did it, they won the title the next year. I'm not saying that that's going to happen here, but I'm saying it's you, not. I'm saying you thank him for what he's done. It's been immensely entertaining. He was he was a, a, a great star last year, this year, and and, and has been and, 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 been a, been a wonderful citizen. Yeah, and it's not it's not out of spite. I just think it's good business and good basketball. Yes, the the good basketball part is what I want the Bulls to get back on, like doing that and. Yeah, the idea has crystallized for me in in recent days, and it's and it's been coming up as we talk about it on the organizations win championships podcast. But it's it's more stark than ever. Looking at if if it's really affecting the way a coach feels, he can do his job. M- move on now. Let's move on. Your your floor has been raised to the point where there is expectations for you now. So let's move in the direction that the that that the game is going in, and, maybe, and let's find out and, if Patrick Williams is that dude. And maybe maybe that move also allows Zach Levine to relax a little bit. Maybe say what you want about him, but maybe he's just not as twitchy at the end of games. Maybe if there's a better understanding that he can spread his wings a little bit and say, Zach, you 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 want it, you got it. Now help, let's see what you can do. Yeah, with it. go ahead. You this is there's there's no ambiguity anymore. And and you've made you've already made that commitment to Zach. You 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 paid him. That's right. And now and now you double down on that. I think you can be a very consistent, player friendly organization and improve your overall balance sheet asset wise by trading Demar Derozan at this deadline. I think that that's fair. Want to go down to Mobile for a little bit? It's probably nicer. Yeah, it's like seventy five and right. sunny. Okay, sure. Luke Getze is in charge of the American team. It's an American team. <laughs> He's in charge of it, and we're going to hear what he thinks about his experience of being a head coach and what that means for the Bears. Next, here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. 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 America. They're the American team. The other team, I presume, is the un-American team? No, I believe they're the, the national. Oh, okay, that national I team. I thought, I, I, thought, I could be wrong about I that. Was, I don't even know. That was the American team against the world or against the un-American team, the have anti-American you, team, the death to America team. Have you ever heard Roy Woods Jr.'s thing about this, his bit about this particular song? It's so funny. I'm not going to do it justice, but I'll just tell you that he said, he was saying how you never hear black people singing like patriotic songs. Right. And he was like, well, I know someone's going to bring up Living in America by James Brown. 
And his whole point is that black people just tell you, like, our songs are more about cities where, like, it's cool to hang out and it might be safe. And he said, that's what's happening here. Like, at the end of it, it's just James Brown screaming out, Atlanta, Chicago. You know, like, it's, it's just that. It's, it's code word? Yeah. Like, it's where like, things are all right? Here, here are the places in America oh, that's, that's very where clever. you can go. That's ah! very clever. I, well, I I think of this, and if you're a Weird Al fan, all you can think of is his version, Living with a Hernia. <laughs> There's Rick, this Hernia! I, you know what? I gotta, my hernia! I gotta Eat write that down. Hernia. <laughs> I still haven't watched the Weird Al thing. And, oh, you haven't seen the movie? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta watch so that. It's so good, and I was right that uh, Daniel Radcliffe did win an award. He did? Yes, he got something like the Film Critics Award for Best uh, TV Movie Actor Performance. Oh, that's he's, great. He's incredible in this. And also just an awesome guy. Oh. The, the, the people who, who know him and just everybody adores that guy. And okay. He, for him to want to do this project, to give his absolute all to it and absolutely hit it out of the park is so cool. The okay. Movie, the movie's fantastic. That's very, very cool. I dig that. Uh, you've also been doing some some research during breaks yeah. for a thing that we're going to talk about later. Yeah. There's some orange-faced goobers that have it coming to them today. <laughs> can, I just up, say, can I just say that Ass hats. I, I love when this happens with Dan, where the four of us are in the meeting, and we're like, Dan, do you want to talk about this? No, there's nothing here. Well, I don't want to deal with these people, but they're going to get dealt with. And then, and then he spends the rest of the show like looking. And he's like, "Did you did you see blah blah blah?" No, I was out getting a lollipop. Well, guess what happened? It's bad. We'll get into it at twelve forty-five. Okay. The reason that we are playing "Living in America" is because Luke Getzey is coaching Team American. Ah! 815 says it's the American team against the January 6th insurrectionists. Oh, my God. <laughs> the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, like all the Chicago cops and firemen. And <laughs> Way to go, Ryan Pace. I've got a, I've got a joke about a mayoral candidate that I just can't uh, I know make. you're talking about. Little, little battery-powered tasers and bear spray and wraparound sunglasses. Hi, I'm Cosplay. running for mayor here yeah, in well. Chicago, Illinois, as a Democrat. And I'm here to tell you, I want you to go out and buy an AR-15 and back the badge. I'm blah, 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 for mayor of, of Chicago. Chicago. Okay. Anyway, Luke Getze, maybe it's team It's a team American versus team Americant. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's going on down there at the Senior Bowl. We'll have more serious conversations about the Senior Bowl as the show goes on. But Luke Getze did talk about, maybe, his experience uh, and now being the guy that can be the head coach of a program for a couple of weeks. You've seen young coaches. I mean, there's coaches younger than you that are head coaches. I mean, so does it feel like that's close, like that's within reach? I hope so. I mean, it it, it always depends on what you do, right? you got to have success, and then somebody's got to want you. And so in the the relationship between yourself, the owner, and the general manager, like that's got to be all right. The fit's got to all be right. And so you just got to be prepared for the opportunity. I'm going to be myself. That's what I do. And 
Um, I love I love leading these men, and so I love doing that in Chicago. I love leading that group. I, I take that job as if I am the head coach of the offense, and I take it that way. I work every day like that, and so it's what I really love to do. When you get that next chance interview after last year at Denver, and now you've had this whole season, you've this yeah. experience of another season, yeah. how much different do you think you'll you'll be maybe in the interview setting, and yeah. how much more ready will you be for that opportunity? Yeah, I'm, I'm so much more tuned in and dialed in to you know the whole the whole package you know, this experience in Chicago has been unbelievable the exposure that that Ryan and and Matt allow me to have and and, and the McCaskey family allows you to have to be a part of it all is just it's been an, it's been an awesome experience uh, way more prepared like you said for for when that opportunity does come uh, then you know I've learned so much in Green Bay but you know Mississippi State and all those other spots but this is this year has been awesome Good for him. I think it's a really interesting experience to have not just send a head coach down there to be head coach, but to send an assistant to that. that Here's an opportunity with no real risk. Well, he's got a, a big year ahead of him. He does. And it's much like you said with Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady. It, there's an analogy there to a guy losing his job because of bad timing around a quarterback. This should be great timing around a quarterback. And there is enormous pressure on Luke Getze for year two to year three for Justin Fields to be the year. A, like I said, he's going to be on the cover of video games and magazines and, and whatever, whatever virtual covers that they have. For Fantasy this, football mags, yeah. like all of that yeah. stuff. He's, he's going to be, he's an it guy in the league now. And this is Getze's primary charge. So he might be scouting guys. He might be working on his coaching chops, but he, don't don't lose sight if you're Luke Getzey of what all what matters this year is the next step for that young man. The part of the at the at the end instead of doing the cities when he's doing the the, the various subsets or the subspecies of di- hernia diagnoses is fantastic. Hey Ray, can we find can you find the Roy Woods bit about that about the, some black people singing songs that aren't patriotic necessarily and living in America? We could do that at one thirty five since Dan's never seen it or heard it. It's pretty funny. Live with This is exactly what February sports radio should sound like. High noon is next, and we accidented into a movie night last night with just the boys around. And I was I was not sure how it would go, but I found a a blank space, an odd, unintended blank space in my son's comedy education. And I've been very diligent about it, I think. I've been really, really good. It just hadn't crossed my mind to find this particular movie. 
And I said, have you ever seen it? He had never heard of it. He didn't know what it was. He didn't know many of the people involved and saw it. And he said, "What? why is it taking me so long to see that movie? He said, that movie is absolutely hilarious. And he wanted to immediately watch it again. I, I was I was surprised that it hit, but I think the fact that he knew nothing about it, none of the tropes, none of the anything, it missed him completely, and it was a smashing success. I have, I have something that I think you're going to enjoy because it involves a player that you hate. Cool. Is it Ersan Ilyasova? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine then. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then, right there, out in the street. Front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? All right, before you start the high noon propers, I got a text message during the break. I'm not going to say from whom. Okay. But a friend of ours and a friend of the show texted and said that when their husband got a hernia surgery, they greeted their husband with... Living with a hernia playing in the car. As as one should. That's just good spousing. That that, that is appropriate. If if I check spousing manual, that is that is absolutely procedure. I I think I think I wouldn't be mad. I think I would probably laugh, but I also understand why her husband might have been a little miffed. Well it's 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 but not, it's hysterical. You can't. You gotta. I tell you why. Probably hurt to laugh. I'm sure. And I, I texted back. I said I would have laughed through my stitches because that's that's top notch trolling right. of your spouse that's, right that's, there. That's what one does. That's what you do. All right. Now you can do the propers for high noon. All right. We talked a little bit about everything. Tony Romo and Groundhog Day and the Bulls and the issues of trust and everybody's leaving the sky apparently just because they want. To and Cody Westerland talk bulls. We played some sound from Luke Getze at the Senior Bowl and the experience that he's having coaching and scouting and getting ready for the season. Um, Dan, over the last 15 years, who's been one of your least favorite national college basketball players? National college basketball players? I mean, you and Terry used to go in on this. Tyler Hansborough? Correct. So, ran across this video. I I kind of felt bad about it, but the more we learned about sort of his upbringing and how he was kind of an an, an odd bird. You're going to rethink that feeling bad part. Okay. You know, remember John Wall? Yeah. Yeah. You know, remember how he went to Kentucky? Well, he wanted to go to North Carolina. Until, and I'll let him explain what happened. I wanted to go to Carolina. That's my dream school. Tell you the story about that. A lot of people don't know that. Something happened. They told me this story. I they f***ed it up. I know. They was the only one that could have got me not to go play for Coach Cal. Because my mom had got sick, had an aneurysm in her head, so she had to shave half her head ball. But I'm like, now I can't leave home. Like, I got to stay close. That's my best friend. And there was like NC State then, because Carolina already f***ed up. So I was going to go to NC State if I was going to do it. But I'm like, man, I can't go to school from here to the... To the refrigerator. I ain't gonna never be on campus. I'm gonna be at home with, the, with my guys. So I go on a visit. Tyler Lawson them there. Tyler Hansberg got his own section. Him and like homeboys. I'm a little recruit. I walk up and say, What are you saying? I don't talk to recruits. I was like, F- you. I ain't never, I ain't coming here. That was that f- it up right there. 
Might need to smack Tyler Ambrose. No, that I really want up to shake his hand. You know, he, he national player of the year, just won a championship today. I'm like, damn, I want to talk to Tyler Ambrose. He like, you from North Carolina, you watching Tyler Ambrose. He like, this a star. Like, to us, oh, like, star. I'm, I'm seeing Ed Coda, you know what I mean? All them come through there, Raymond Fell, and I'm like, I get to meet Ty Lawson and Tyler Ambrose. I'm like, this is a dream come true for me. Dream, school I loved growing up. He did that. And I was like, I got something for him. Wow. How about that? I don't talk to recruits. Like, what are you doing? And you got to remember, like, what type of high school prospect John Wall was. I don't talk to recruits. I don't want this team to be better. I don't talk to recruits. I've never heard of such a thing. Ordinarily, like... That's part of the pitch. Yeah, they go out of your way. Like you can tell on your visit, like who you're, which player you're getting as your tour guide is, an, is usually indicative of the extent to which a team wants you. Right. I don't talk to recruits. Fine. Even though he's a sort of a homeschooled weirdo. Maybe he didn't know how to talk. To him. Right. Seriously, I don't speak English. All right. So I. We've been trying to find things to watch on TV on non-sports nights, and uh, Beth had been out of town. It's just Jason and me hanging out. And I don't know how it came up, but we've done a bunch of stuff, a lot of movies and, and old SCTV sketches, and I really think I've done an awesome job with, with comedy education, going back to, like I say, Marx Brothers, Mel Brooks, Airplane. It would seem like he seems to be a, a more well-rounded 17-year-old. Almost too too much so. Like, almost, he got on one of these these pages, these, like, websites for his incoming college class, and he made some reference to Napoleon Dynamite. And somebody said, boy, good to see an OG out there. He was like, wow. Have you shown him Trading Places yet? That's that was on, that's actually on the list. I, I want him to see Trading Places. All right, good. So last night, I said, you ever seen Wayne's World? He said, what's Wayne's World? Wayne's World! Wayne's World! And I realized... Nothing. He he's like, well, what's Wayne's? World? I said, you know, Mike Myers. He's like, oh, Austin Powers. He, you know, have you seen Austin Powers? He knows who Mike Myers is. He says he Dana Carvey. He said he said I don't, I don't really know who Dana Carvey is. He said I might know him if I saw him, but I don't really know anything about or of Dana Carvey. And I said, do me a favor. We're gonna watch Wayne's World. Don't ask me anything about it. So it's like an hour and a half. Just pop it in. So we we turn eyes. He it's oh it's HBO Max. We got it. Whatever it is, we didn't have to pay for it. And, he, and we're about 10 minutes in. He goes, what is this about? And I said, just don't, ask, don't ask any questions. I said, just vibe it. She's a big swing. He didn't know swing, any of it. He'd never seen the sketch. Well, were you tempted to show him no. YouTubes of the no. sketch? No, I just want to put it in cold, let the movie stand on its own merits. Okay. He loved it and was mad at me for not having exposed him to it earlier. He said that there was there were other things that he noticed that had been he'd seen in other movies or South Park episodes or there were oh so that's why that and that's who that is and it I I, I had no idea how well it would register and how many things are still really funny and the physical comedy of Dana Carvey like his performance in that movie I didn't appreciate it before because I thought he was just kind of silly like there is. Physical comedy and and takes and old school stuff 
like Buster Keaton and Peter Sellers and Woody Allen stuff and some of the breaking of the fourth wall and the way he does it and the awkwardness and a lot of the, and the, living in it. Oh, but Garth, like the, the, his awkwardness and the not shaking hands and all of his social difficulties, and it's it's. It's really good. And even Rob Lowe's terrific. And the other thing he came away with, it, he's like, who is that Tia Carrere? Man. And I was like, yeah, right? Good, good for him to have that awakening. And he said, he said, why didn't she become some kind of megastar? He was like, Let, that. Yeah. He, he was he was like jaw, yeah. on the, jaw on the floor. This is Stan Makita's Donuts. Excellent munchables. This is the manager, Glenn. He's here 24 hours a day. I recommend the sugar pucks. They're excellent. Come on. I'd never done a crazy thing in my life before that night. Why is it if a man kills another man in battle, it's called heroic? Yet if he kills a man in the heat of passion, it's called murder. Hello. What do you think you're doing? Only me and Garth get to talk to the camera. (laughs) And then, so Ed O'Neill comes on and Jason says, where do I know him from? So he knows him from Modern Family. I said, that's Jay from Modern Family. He says, oh, my God. So have you done the married with children stuff? No, he, he noticed Veronica Corningstone and yeah. Wow. Anything wrong, David? I didn't yeah. watch that. See, I got paid today. Oh, yeah, I know what that's like. No, you don't understand. They laid me off. I got one of these. Yeah, I know how that feels. You know what I'd like to do? Yeah, I know what you'd like to do. You'd like to find the guy that did it. Rip his still beating heart out of his chest and hold it in front of his face so he can see how black it is before he dies. Actually, I was thinking about filing agreements with the union. Well, <laughs> no, the world's a twisted place. <laughs> but I'm, I was just so happy it was, it was a success. And like the little things are really good. The scene in which they're speaking Cantonese and the subtitles are these incredibly intellectual, com- increasingly complex text underneath. And the actual words that are being spoken become shorter and shorter. Yes. It, it, it's, 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 I mean, there's so much stuff. There. I imagine that the list that you have for him is so long that there's going to be a lot of, Dad, why didn't you tell me about... Well, I hope so. I hope so. But I've been pretty good about it. We've, we've watched a lot of movies. And and there's been a lot of stuff explaining why certain jokes are, are not okay, why certain filmmakers are canceled, why certain things, like, you know, this is not something you want to... And, and I mean, when you show them trading places, Dan Aykroyd yeah. blackface. Yeah, I mean, and coming to America, he, he loved. So there's been a little bit of Eddie Murphy, not a ton of Eddie Murphy. I'd show, I'd show him uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Beverly Hills Cop 2. And 48 see, hours. And see the difference in Eddie. Yeah. In in 1 and 2. Apparently there's going to be a 4. That's what I hear. And I'm, I got it. Everyone's been raving about you people on Netflix. Jonah, Jonah Hill. And um, I saw middling reviews. Eddie. And, and of course, Neil Long. Is in it? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really down for that. So I'm have to check that out. She wasn't replaced by Joe Mazzula. Wow. Coach of the year candidate. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that gave us a scouting report on Demar. Remember? That's right. Sure did. Show him bodies. He's got to see bodies. He can't see gaps. That's right. That's right.
So that has been High Noon. And next up, Eric Edholm from the Senior Bowl with actual football content on the screen. Yeah, football!